Now, this third chapter of Ezra begins with the activities of the returned people, the returned remnant uh, from the land of Babylon uh, during the seventh month of their first year of freedom. And they assembled together immediately upon the return to reinstate uh, the true and proper worship of God. It was all done in keeping with what was written in the law of Moses. We see that uh, there at the end of verse 2, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And then again, I think it is in verse 4, they kept also the feast of tabernacles as it is written. So what was going on was scriptural. It was according to the revealed mind and will of God. Now, though the altar had not been completed, uh, God did not have, therefore, a dwelling place among his people. Uh, the work needed to be set forward according to uh, verse 8. Now, I said the last time the chapter falls into two different parts. Verses 1 through 7 uh, deals with the altar being raised. And then verses 7 through 13, the foundation is laid. Now, having dealt with the first part under the heading, first things first, we come to think about making a start. So let's just get this into our minds now. Chapter 1, we have the release of the captives. In chapter 2, we have the register of those who return from captivity. And now in this third chapter, we have the responsibility of the captives who returned from Babylon. Now, let's apply that to ourselves. We have been released by, out of our bondage by the mercy and grace of God through Christ, typified in Zerubbabel and uh, by Sir Cyrus, of course, as well. Our names have been recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. They cannot be uh, erased from that. We belong to him. Uh, we have eternal security resting in the finished work of Christ. And then, having been released and having our names recorded in heaven, our responsibility then is to help build a church, if you like, because the temple really was the church that belonged to the Jewish people. You understand what I'm saying there, Christ builds the temple, but we are uh, co-laborers of him, and he works through us. That's an amazing thing that he does, but he does. It pleases him to work through us human beings, and it's a delight to be able to serve the Lord Jesus. So just keep that in mind as we go through these things because it is applicable to us. It's all about building the church for Christ's sake and he uses different individuals to do that. Uh, three simple things I want to share with you here tonight. There is the contemplation of the work. Now the work actually began according to verse 8 in the second month of the second year which means that seven months have passed from the first day of the seventh month mentioned in verse 6. And the first action of the people was to erect an altar and offer burnt offerings. And the burnt offerings are mentioned there in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. And the burnt offering was completely consumed in the fire and that burnt offering speaks to us of Christ and his atonement because that was all for God. Some of the sacrifices, you see, were partly for, for God and then the priests, they were able to partake. That was how they were fed. 
But this was the burnt offering that was all for God. That speaks to us of the offering of Jesus Christ being offered up to holy God uh, on behalf of his people. So first things first, remember that. Remember that. I, I read today a little uh, funny thing about a preacher. And he pointed out that a recipe for rabbit now, I don't think I would like rabbit, but I do believe one time in Egypt, uh, the boy told us it was chicken, but the bones that were in the chicken, I never saw bones like it ever, uh, with the result that over 40 of our people in the bus took sick, and that was a nightmare after that, but that's a story for again. Uh, he said the recipe for rabbit started out, first catch the rabbit, and the writer knew how to put first things first. Do we know how to put first things first? first that is how we got our priorities right so that's a lesson for us to glean if we take away nothing else tonight remember the rabbit remember the story remember the illustration and remember the truth that was taught first things first now the focus of the worshipers then was on the work of christ as they contemplated this great task so seven months had passed but during that seven month period you see the people had the altar there and they were focusing upon the sacrifice that reminds us of Christ. And, and here's a, a good point for us to remember. We need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on, fixed on him as our sacrifice for sin. In verse 3 we're told that these sacrifices were offered morning and evening. Then in verse 4 it is described as the daily burnt offerings. The duty of every day requires this, verse 4. So what am I getting at here? We need to put first things first. Then we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus morning and evening every single day. Begin the day with God, end the day with God, and keep your focus upon him during the rest of the day. So these people, as they face this great task, of building the temple, and remember what I said about that, the great task of building the temple, and they were compelled to keep their focus on the sacrifice that reminds us of Christ. There's a word for the preacher, a word for the Sunday school teacher, a word for the young people's workers, a word for the brethren in the open air, a word for us all, for the session members, the deacons. Remember this, this is God's work. God has placed us. Uh, with their different talents to labor in a congregation. And the important thing is, brothers and sisters, we need to keep our focus upon Christ if we want to be successful in the service of God. And by the way, they needed to focus upon the sacrifices because they needed God's help. And if ever a church needed God's help, it's this church, isn't that right? And if ever a people needed God's help, it's this people. And if a preacher ever needed God's help as this preacher, we can all say the same thing. But the application is very, very important. We need to focus our thoughts and minds on what the offering represented, Christ. Now let me just get very carnal for a minute. Uh, it was the final hole in the 1961 Masters Tournament in America. And Arnold Palmer, who lived not too far away from us in Florida, had a one-stroke lead and had just hit a very good tee shot. He was felt very confident, and as many golfers sometimes feel maybe overconfident, 
And as he approached the ball, he saw an old friend standing at the edge of the gallery. And his friend motioned him to come over to him. And he put out his hand and said to Arnold, congratulations. He took his friend by the hand and he shook his hand. But as soon as he did so, as soon as he did so, he knew he'd lost his focus. On his next two shots, he hit the ball into a sand trap. You know what that is? That's when you lose your cool, lose your temper in front of your friends. Then he put the ball over the edge of the green. That doesn't work out too well either. He missed a putt. He's getting ready for straight up now. And he lost the Masters. He lost the Masters. And the point is this, he lost focus. And we need to endeavor by God's grace to be sure that we keep our focus on Christ. It's easy to lose the focus. Now, this is the only place in the book of Ezra uh, where uh, uh, Jeshua comes first in verse 2. That's, he's the priest. He's mentioned first there in verse 2. And uh, there's a reason for that, I feel anyway. Because the chapter is all about the altar. It's all about the sacrifice. The focus then is upon the priestly ministry of Christ in this man. So do you see that? He's mentioned here first, and he's the, the priest. He's the high priest. We've got to keep our eyes on him, Christ. And it speaks to us of the offering and the sacrifice of Christ. So the altar is built before the foundation is laid. It teaches us that the building or building the church can only take place on the basis of atonement. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he's only building the church upon the basis of the sacrifice he made on Calvary's cross. That's the reason why the altar had to be built first. Because you can't build a church without the sacrifice. Some people try to build the church some other way. But it always ends in futility and with disaster. And so there's these little things, just simple little things. Uh, and uh, they're here to encourage us. Because this book is right up to date. Now the heart comes before the house. Remember I talked about this before? Getting the heart right in the inside comes before the house. The worship of God comes before the work of God. Uh, nothing, I, I can never really get away in the study if I just rush in there, sit down, and open the book and begin to study. I've tried it many a time, and I never really get anywhere. I could be sitting for hours and not get a single thought. But then the next day I learned my lesson, I go in there and I bow my head and I sit there quietly for a minute or two, and then I pray, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me, let them guide me, let them bring me into thy holy tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God. And you know, I look down at the word and it just pops out. There's an outline, ready to preach, Coleraine or Donaghy, wherever it is. And I rejoice for that. It makes it a lot easier when you take time to wait in God's presence. The shedding of blood comes before the starting of the building. Another lesson to learn is that worship must take place on the basis of atonement. We're drawing nigh in the prayer meeting tonight through the blood, through the sacrifice of Christ. We're asking in his name. We don't deserve any answers, but we're asking in his name. And we're assured if we come through the atonement and through his sacrifice, we will get answers that may not be the answers that we are looking for. But it will be God's answer, and God's answer is always the best. So 
but we, we draw near through the sacrifice. And so it's good to think about that as we come to pray. So the reason for this order, the temple had to be built before the temple, had the temple been built before the altar, any worship rendered uh, within it would have been unacceptable, you see. Unacceptable. So we have contemplating uh, the work of God, keeping our focus upon Christ, looking to him, and looking to him for help to do what he wants us to do. So then we've got to come to the second thing. There is the commencement of the work. Now, the altar was built, and then uh, down there, uh, verse 6, it says, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Now, do you remember that verse? I think it is in Psalm 11, verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11, verse 3, that is. There's only one answer to that. Lay the foundations again. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, verse 11, Paul says that Christ is the foundation. So what's the message? If the foundations have been destroyed, if we have been in Babylon for 70 years because of our sin, if we've been under the chastening hand of God, the only answer is get back to Christ. Get back to the cross. We need to get back to him. As simple as that. Lay the foundation again. Back to Christ. Who's the foundation? So the work began in the second month of the second year, verse 8. So they spent nearly seven months gathering materials and preparing to build. That's the reason why they took this time to wait. They needed to get uh, cedars from Lebanon and so on. They needed to get other things, oil and spices and what else. It took time to gather these things together. When you decided to build this hall of the church, it didn't just happen overnight. There had to be a few committee meetings, and you had to think about finances, and you had to think, first, where are we going to get windows from, the best place for radiators and carpets and whatever else? A lot of preparation was into it. And, and so it was a way back then, too. There had to be the preparation, seven months gathering materials and preparing to build time, was spent focusing on the sacrifice, getting their hearts ready for the work. That's the greatest part of any kind of service, getting the heart right. The, the, the actual execution of the work is a lot easier than the initial part, getting the heart right. That's a boy all getting the heart right. A lot of heart searching has to go on to a message when you stand before people to preach it. You've got to be there yourself to preach it effectively, at least. You've got to be there if you're going to preach it passionately with a real genuine feeling for souls. And I always endeavor by the grace of God to preach that way. That's me. That's who I am. I don't imitate anybody else. I'm me. And I have my own little clever ways of doing things, if you like. That's me. That's who I am. I, I don't want to be anybody else. I just want to be me. The best of me, of course. So they're, they're, they're getting their time, their hearts ready to do this great work. The first month, by the way, was the month when the Passover was held, the 14th day. So they didn't do any work then. They're getting their focus again on the, the sacrifice again. So a month out, getting ready for the Passover, no problem. The purpose was to set forward the work and the work is mentioned in verse 8. 
And then in verse 9, to set forward the workmen. The workmen are mentioned in the next verse, verse 9. So the work is mentioned in verse 8, and the workmen are mentioned in verse 9. There's a work to do, and workmen are needed to do it. I, uh, I read another thing today as well. You think I've been doing nothing else? Well, I really haven't been. I've been in the study from early morning. And sometimes you need a wee bit of uh, levity, a wee bit of lightness. And uh, so I lifted this little book I have, and I read there about three kinds of workers. Now, I'm not saying these three kinds of workers are here. I don't want him books thrown at me now tonight. But I'm just saying this. I thought it was amusing. I trust you'll find it amusing. Uh, there's three kinds of workers, this man said. And he used uh, moving a piano uh, to begin with. He said, when a piano is to be moved, the first kind gets behind and pushes. Energy. The second pulls and gates. And the third grabs the piano still. I thought that was the part that I took. <laughs> I can remember years ago, uh, Mrs. Paisley, uh, she had a piano, a senior that is, in Bellamina Church. We were having a committee meeting. I was at the committee meeting. Two of the men were delegated to take the piano uh, from the church up to, I think it was the town hall or maybe High Street where we moved to for a time. And so they stepped out. And in about maybe 10 minutes, the door got a knock. They came into the committee room and said about bad news. As they were transporting the piano, the back door of the trailer opened and the thing slid out onto the street. In the middle of the street in the Waveney Road. Now you can imagine Mr. Beggs having to go to tell Mrs. Paisley or telling the family that this piano was lying in a thousand pieces in the Waveney Road. It was a mess. They brought it down to the church and we had to go out to investigate it as the committee has to do. It was a real nightmare. So there's three kinds of workers, you see. But they all played a part anyway. That's not right. We can all do a little something in the service of God. But if we're moving the piano, I'm going to take the seat now. You all are able-bodied men could do the rest. I'll take the piano to stool. The house of God is now a spiritual house. And that day it was material. You understand that now. And the altar was material. But our altar is Christ. So we're building the spiritual house under God. I'm talking about building it. You understand what I'm saying? It's Christ is building, but we're co-laborers with him. We focus upon the altar, the sacrifice. It's a spiritual house made up of living stones, and Christ is built upon the foundation. And, and I'll not take time now, but you can look through uh, this chapter, these verses. Verse 1, the people gathered together. I mentioned this last time. And verse 9, the people, uh, the workers stood together. And then in verse 11, the Levites sang together. And then the people were working together. And the tasks were varied. But they all had one goal, you see, to glorify God by rebuilding his temple. And Paul says in uh, Philippians 2, verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. But how was the work uh, financed? Well, they gave money according to verse 7 and I have already thanked you for your generosity you gave money last Tuesday night for the service and the work of God and the gifts of the people are mentioned back in chapter 2 verse 68 and then in this particular chapter in verse 7 
the, the grant from the king is also uh, mentioned here as well. So the provisions, you can see in verse 7, provisions, meat and, and drink and oil and cedar trees. All that was needed for the work, for doing this work, was provided for them. All that we need to do the work of God is provided in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. We have the unfilling of the Holy Spirit. We have his directions, his counsel, and the way to do things according to the mind and will of God. And by the way, when you think about this, Jews and Gentile money was provided for the task. The Jews provided stuff uh, before the, the, the captives returned to the land and then the king gave the grant. So we can see God overruling and all of these things, the Jews and the Gentiles provided for the work. Now, there was much to discourage these workers. Uh, well, the altar uh, was there and the temple was to be built in the same spot. Now, 70 years before this, or thereabouts, it had been destroyed. So there was heaps of rubble. There was enemies in the country. Uh, just a small remnant to do the work. There was no uh, ark, no visible glory, no temple, small beginnings. But they began, you see. They began trusting God. And God saw them through Praise be the name of the Lord. They gave and they worked and they labored and they accomplished in due course what they set out to do. C.T. Studd was a famous English cricketer. And this is what he said on one occasion, that Jesus Christ be God and died for me. There's no sacrifice that can be too great for me to make for him. These people made a sacrifice. The people who stayed in the Persian provinces uh, they were wealthy. They didn't want to return to face this kind of thing. They had their own problems. I mentioned this before. They stayed and they had to face Haman. And God had to overrule on their behalf. And so God's people, doesn't matter where they're at, they're going to face difficulties and problems and, and, and all these kind of things. Another thing I read in that little book today, uh, let me make you smile. The hardest thing about milking cows, observed the farmer, is that they never stay milked. And in the work of God, there's always something needing done. There's always something changing. There's always something arising in the work of God. Never stand still. The cows never stayed milked. There's always something to do for God. Are we prepared to run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? Like usual, I take far too much time come to the last point, the celebration and the work. Verses 10 through 13 describe the celebration. There's the trumpets there and there's the symbols mentioned in verse 10. Well, there's a bit of a noise in this congregation. The grateful people begin singing and shouting. I don't know about that, but uh, they were singing and shouting anyway. And verse 11, it was a memorable scene. And the priests were dressed in their ceremonial uh, apparel. Uh, this was not a casual thing. This was the worship of God. It wasn't casual. You know, if you're in the work of God and you present it in a casual way, people will look upon it as being in a casual way. But God's work has to be done God's way and it's like no other work. It's God's work. So there's nothing casual about being in the pulpit or doing a special work or public. It's a special dress code here. The priests were dressed in ceremonial apparel. 
the musicians were ready to praise God uh, in instruments and in song. Music is a need to worship. You understand that. But it must not degenerate into entertainment. And the priest's songs were taken from Psalm 118 and Psalm 136. They sang unto the Lord, you see. That's another important thing. Hymns and praises ought to be worthy of him, worthy of Christ. Young men shouted for joy. I assume the young men shouted for joy. And the ancient men, the older men, uh, wept with a loud voice. The old men. Another little thing I discovered in that same book. I was having a real good time this afternoon. I didn't want to leave it down. And I thought about these uh, ancient men, these old people, and I read this little comment. I had a laugh at myself in the study. I'm, I'm sure Anne heard me laughing down below. One thing about getting old is that you can sing in the bathroom while brushing your teeth. So I thought of these, I thought about these ancient men I don't know what age they were, but they, they had to be a right age because they had seen the glory of the temple that had been destroyed over 50 years before this. I don't know whether they brushed their teeth in those days or not, but I know that they were there and they saw this new work being established for God. And there are two sentiments linked here in the work of God. The young men shouted for joy, and the ancient, the old men, wept with a loud voice. Now, why were there, why was there weeping on this such a joyful occasion? Because, as I said, these older ones had seen the original temple of Solomon that had been destroyed over 50 years ago. And this new edifice was nothing like it at all. They remembered the former glory and could only weep over the poverty of this particular uh, planned temple. So these godly men looked long for the good old days. We, we talk about the good old days in the free church and thank God for the good old days when God came down and revival power and souls were getting saved on a regular basis. But we had tough times as well, you know, times of division and times of fallout and times of going back and everything. So the good old days, yes, we want to think about that, but we've got to remember when you have good old days, you have, good old, you have hard old days as well. And that's the way it has been. That's the way it always has been. That's the way it will continue to be. They long for the good old days. But it was the sins of that generation that brought about the captivity in Babylon, by the way. So there were mixed emotions here. The, old, the older men were looking back and the younger ones were looking forward. I've just got to come to an end now. This may have been a discouraging time. It may not have reached the glory of Solomon's temple. It was something else. But it was dignified by the personal presence of God himself in human flesh. Because Christ ministered in the second temple. That made the difference, you see. That was the glory. Christ himself came and dwelt in it. And with this I close. Older people may often be inclined to be too pessimistic. Uh, I'm an older generation as well. And not too much in past uh, times, sometimes dampening the enthusiasm for, of the younger people. On the other hand, younger Christians have tendencies to be overconfident and rush ahead with new ideas, without proper planning and careful thought. We need both the wisdom of age and the vigor of youth in God's work. That's the way it is. Balance. Balance. 
Zeal needs to be channeled in the right direction. There's many a thing that young people can learn from the older generation that must not be despised. And then there are things that the older generation can learn from the young people and their zeal for the things of God. The ideal thing is to do what these people did way back then in the work, to work together, respecting, esteeming other, in high esteem, remembering that it is God's work. And only God's work done in God's way will prosper by whoever. And so any kind of work that we endeavor or attempt to do for God, we must contemplate on the work of Christ and through him and by his grace then set the work forward, going forward as he has ordained according to his divine purpose. May God be pleased to bless his word and I trust that even the little, maybe silly, insignificant illustrations might impress upon your heart tonight some spiritual truth. That's the whole aim. So we'll get down now to have our time of prayer. Pray for that family in Ballymoney who's lost that uh, little child there. Disaster, heartbreaking experience for the family. Pray that God will draw near to them in the time of loss and bereavement that they will know his divine strength well let's seek the Lord together